Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary vgw group void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply And welcome to Lighthouse Lookback. My name is Noel Vogelman. Be sure to subscribe to the Lighthouse Hockey channel on iTunes and wherever podcasts are found. Lighthouse Hockey is a podcast where we catch up with former Islanders, whether they have played one game or hundreds with the team. Jason Podolin did just that, playing one game in the 2001-02 season for the Islanders. He talks about that game and why his second call-up never came. Jason was drafted 31st overall by the Florida Panthers in the 1994 draft. The Panthers traded Podolin to the Toronto Maple Leafs for a former Islander fan favorite in 1997. Jason signed with the Islanders before the 2001-02 season. In total, the forward played 41 games in the league with four different teams. Jason fills me in on what he's up to now. I'm getting back into the into the hockey world. So what I've known and and uh, you know grew up with and was a huge part of my life till about thirty is now is now coming full circle with my with my kids growing up. I got three boys that are ten, nine, and seven now and are massive fans of the game and and quite good players in their own right. So I've got back into coaching and and with that I've tied my you know my high performance training and my my coaching into back into hockey and. And now extending that to uh, to hockey players, athletes out there that that want to be their best and reach their potential, and and with that have have uh, has start have started a podcast of my own called Up My Hockey uh, to go along with my coaching and course development, and uh, yeah, just running with that right now. So basically, um, you're just kind of using your career, kind of helping people, just the ups and downs of it, and uh, pretty much that. Well, yes and no. Uh, there's 
you know, there's been so much uh, science put into the physical side of the game in the last probably 20, 25 years. And, and now, you know, that is really, really dialed in the, the skill aspect and the, and the working out aspect and the sleep and nutrition and all that. But I, the mindset is still an unexplored territory, I believe. And, and the whole aspect of personal development and high performance and, and where the mind uh, fits in with that and being the best that you can be, I, I, I believe is, is still a, a Burgoyne industry and, uh, and there's opportunity there. And, and there's a lot of guys that don't quite understand, uh, the steps and, and leaps that can be made, uh, when you start thinking about the game the right way and, and understanding your beliefs and, uh, your belief systems and, and your preparation habits and, and all these, uh, good things that, that really align, uh, with high performance and being the best that you can be. Are you kind of surprised, like, how this has taken off? Even, like, when you, you know, started, you started out maybe 20, 25 years ago, how, like, just, just you know, the advanced, you know, stats and analytics and even, like, working out and just doing, you know, off-season, not, not just going into training camp and just, you know, starting your, you know, your program then. Well, I think it makes sense. I don't know if I'm surprised because – it is such a big industry, right? And it's a dream that a ton of kids want to do one because they love the sport, but two, because, you know, the fame and fortune and all the rest of it that comes along with being an NHL hockey player, or having a pro career, um, it's pretty obvious. And the amount of dollars that the organizations are making, they're really wanting to invest in their players and in their, and in their prospects or, or assets, however, they, however the organization wants to call their players that they want to try and, uh, get the best out of out of these draft picks and out of their out of their contract signings. So, I think it's going to continue to expand. You know that 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 realm of human high performance is is not going anywhere. And I think everyone's looking for an advantage, especially when there's so much at stake. Yeah. Now, what about your career? You had, you know amazing junior career. You know Spokane Chiefs. You're I think one of the top thirty and thirty players. They they did that a few years ago. They ranked a bunch of you know former Chiefs and. A couple of Islanders made that list too: Mick Fakoda, Steve Junker, uh, Travis Green, Michael Grabner, yourself, and your Ryan coach, McCabe. Ryan McCabe, another one, former captain. Um, you were coached by Mike Babcock. Mm-hmm. With that, I know everything going on. What was your experience like with with Mike? Well, Mike was kind of just getting started, not necessarily getting started, but he'd just come from the University of Lethbridge. And so his junior job there was his first time in the WHL. So he was a young man and, and we were, you know, we were young too, but I, I don't know how old he was exactly, but I believe he was in his thirties probably at the time, maybe early thirties. So he was, he was sharp and he was figuring things out. Um, I remember him being really intense. I remember him being very prepared. I remember him being very demanding. Um, and I remember him being good at what he did, you know, really in a nutshell. I, I think I, I think after all the coaches I ended up playing for throughout my career, he, he was one of the ones that stood out for me as as uh, as being one of the one of the best. You know, he was he was good at what he did. Um, everyone has their warts, you know, but uh, as far as intensity and as far as preparation, as far as, you know, getting the most out of his guys, I believe he was really good at that. You know, kind of you know, watching him, you know. The last couple of years with the Leafs before you know he, he got fired. Um, do you think kind of the game passed him by? I don't know if the game passed him by. I mean, I'd I'd have to be in that locker room to really see how he was dealing with guys and and what what the message was. I, I don't think 
I don't think that his overall underlying philosophy um, is old. I don't think that ever goes anywhere. The fact of trying to get better every day, uh, the fact of, you know, taking pride in your preparation and your execution, um, which gives you confidence, which gives you results. I don't think that that ever gets old. How that message was delivered, maybe, or how he leaned on guys, uh, maybe might have been too hard for, for the group that he that he had there. Um, but again, without being in that dressing room, it's really hard. It's really hard to speculate what happened there. You know, every every coach it seems like has a shelf life where, wherever they go, and and maybe and maybe that was just his time. Who knows? Yeah. And why is it in hockey like when a coach you know gets dismissed during the year, whether the team you know is suffering? You know, like last year, Craig Burby, the St. Louis Blues were, you know, I think second to last in the league. They had coaching change. They make a run, they win the cup. A few years ago, Mike Sullivan in Pittsburgh, and it seems like Sheldon Keefe, same thing. They're going to make a big run. Uh, Pete Laviolette, coaching with the Islanders, got dismissed. Uh, then they bring in Jim Hines. They'll probably make a run too. Why do you think that, that that's the case in, in hockey more so than any other sport where a coach gets fired and a team kind of, you know, picks up on that and makes it, you know, a big run? Well, sometimes it doesn't work too, right? So we have to remember the times that it doesn't. But uh, right. the times that it does, you know, maybe maybe the GM does have a good finger on the pulse and he knows that that's, that's what the team needs in that instance. You know, it, it looks like it's worked out for Toronto um, to date. You know, we're, we're recording this in January and they've been, they've been pretty darn good so far. Uh, but you never know until that, until it, you know, you get to the end, right? And how does it work out in playoffs? I was personally disappointed, not necessarily because I'm a pro Babcock guy uh, or an anti Keefe guy. You might played with Sheldon. I know him a little bit, and I know he's a good guy. I know he's very good at what he does. I just personally didn't like the message that I thought management was sending there um, at the time when they when they made uh, the dismissal of of Mike because you know they were going through a little bit of a struggle. They had injuries, uh, and it. I felt it just gave them the ability to not look within themselves for what they needed to get done, you know, and, uh, and that I think is a poor message to the team, you know, granted they went on to win and they started winning, but I still think at the end of the day, you know, it kind of gave them a little bit of a get out of jail free card. I thought it was a little bit early in the season, but we'll see how it goes and how it turns out. And obviously I wish nothing but the best for the Leafs and nothing but the best for Sheldon and, uh, and Babs. And I know he'll get a job somewhere uh, soon. I'm sure whenever he wants. Right. I mean, I'd imagine, like, you know, maybe Seattle, that'd probably be like, you know, expansion team, maybe uh, in a couple of years that might work out for him. Yeah, I think so. And I think, you know, from from what I know of of of, of Babs and, you know, personally and what I've read about him since, I, I believe he is a guy that evolves. That's why I don't <clears throat> necessarily think that that the game has passed him by. I know he's intelligent enough now. Maybe he'll be able to sit back on this and really reflect on on what happened there in Toronto. And I think he's a he's a guy of growth. And in my own personal uh, podcast there up my hockey, I, I interviewed Kevin Sawyer and Kevin Sawyer is a past player for him in Spokane and in Cincinnati and in Anaheim. And he told a really interesting story of uh, of just a moment they had in the minors together where uh, where kind of Kevin called him on something that happened. And, and Mike, you know, Mike was up till two in the morning or one in the morning and, and called Kevin about, you know, how he wanted to handle this certain situation and how he wanted to address the team and how he wanted to grow from it. So I think, I think, you know, that's in his history, you know, of, of wanting to, to use things and grow from them. So I think, you know, I, I think he will probably use this time and, and, and come back sort of a new and improved version of, of Mike Babcock and whoever, whoever gets him, I'm sure will be uh, lucky to have him. Yeah. 
Yeah. And you said you started getting into, you know, the, the, the coaching, you know, right, right now. Do you take um, stuff you've learned from all your coaches? Oh, I think so. Yeah. I mean, it, it's interesting because the, the, the coaching realm, has, it seems like it's changing very, very rapidly. Uh, you know, there was, there was a big division back when I was playing between players and coaches. Uh, it, it seemed like we weren't necessarily going the same direction all the time. It was kind of an us versus them. It seemed like, and now I, I, I think that that, that gap is, uh, is narrowing. I, I think the bridge is a lot smaller. I, I believe that the coaches are kind of getting with the players and being more supportive, uh, more, yeah, more of a supportive role. I think they're playing as opposed to, uh, you know, jump and all the players say how high. Right. Um, and I think that that's, uh, that's something that, that the new generation of player wants. And that's something that I think that they need. And if you don't evolve and if you don't supply that, uh, you know, that positivity for the most part, uh, it, it is something where I think you're going to, you're going to be, uh, looking at a lot of guys with glazed over uh, eyes at you, you know, if you start yelling, screaming, kicking cans, that type of stuff, it's more, it's more of a positive environment, I think, is what gets the job done now. Right. Now, you know, back to your career, you know, Chiefs, you were amazing, and you, um, were you projected to be a first round pick? I know you went, you know, really high in the second round pick in 1994 draft. Yeah, I mean, I was top ten, I think, going into that year. Um, and really, I mean, you're talking about my career and, and, and the one game. And, my, I mean, I'm sure we'll cover my trade to Toronto. But that's sort of interesting, like, for where I am at now. And you asked me earlier about, you know, coaching and, and what I'm doing. And it's and it's just because all these things that I'm coaching now are things from my own experience that I didn't – either I didn't know then or, or I didn't utilize properly or I didn't put enough weight into you know, instead of just depending on my skill set or, or my skills as a hockey player, I needed to be more professional about my pro approach outside the game, whether that be cognitive or mental or or what have you. So that's how it's kind of been interesting to bring this thing full circle is now being able to help other guys, um, you know, try and reach their own potential um, using my experience and now, you know, my my training uh, in the field to, to help them get to where they want to go. So. Um, that's been really gratifying and kind of uh, uh, an interesting way to be able to use what, you know, maybe in my own head feels like a bit of a unfulfilled career. I, th I, th I thought there was going to be more games, you know, uh, uh, I thought there was going to be a longer tenure in the NHL, but now to be able to use those kind of, you know, that reflection and, and my learning experience to help others is, is pretty cool. But um, to get back to your question, yeah, I was, I was top 10. Uh, that season didn't go as I would have liked, you know, I scored, Geez, what did I score? I went from scoring 36 goals, uh, which was second in the entire CHL uh, as a 16-year-old, uh, to, I mean, it wasn't second in the entire CHL, but it was second for 16-year-olds. I should preface that, right, in the entire uh, CHL to scoring 29 my draft year. And it was just a struggle kind of from day one with Brian Maxwell. It was one of those things where the interpersonal relationship side of hockey um, was involved there. You know, I, I still to this day don't know why I had such a hard time getting on the ice with him. Um, was trying my best to please him, but it was it was hard it was hard to get out there. And then with that, obviously it's hard to produce and with that it's hard to maintain your confidence. So it was a it was a tricky draft year to navigate, but I did end up end up going thirty first overall, uh, which by all accounts is uh you know is pretty cool. That would be a first round selection uh in in this day and age. And uh 
I know. Actually, the draft story is pretty cool. I'm not sure if we'll get there, but uh, kind of a kind of an interesting draft story that day as well. Yeah, go for it. Well, we uh, it was in Hartford, right? A team that doesn't exist anymore. So Hartford held the draft, and and as I believe they're still doing it now, where the, where the, the top guys will come in, kind of a couple of days preceding the draft, and the and the teams will host their their final interviews with their with the people that they have on their, on their hot sheet there. And, and so you, you meet with, geez, I almost met with probably every team, I think, I mean, or close to it. And, and you have, you walk away from these meetings feeling, you know, good, really good about some of them, some of them, some of them, they're very complimentary and supportive and, and, and asking kind of fun questions. And it's pretty light. Uh, some teams you wonder why you even walked into the, into the room in the first place. Like, it just seems like they, they had no interest in, in you at all. Right. They, you, you leave feeling worse than, than when you walked in. And so it was kind of the, the, the spectrum there was, was pretty crazy, but the uh, the interesting part was my very last interview uh, was with the Toronto Maple Leafs, and so to back up, I guess a little bit as well that these draft these draft interviews usually entail, you know, sometimes the GM is there, sometimes he's not. A lot of times it's a lot of the scouts. Um, sometimes the whole you know the whole the whole spectrum of scouts within the organization plus the GM plus maybe the coach could be there. Um, but in this scenario with Toronto, it was it was only Cliff Fletcher, and it happened to be like in his hotel room. He invited me up to his hotel room, so it was Cliff Fletcher who happened to be the GM of the Maple Leafs at the time, and me. And it was uh, he shook my hand when I walked in. You know, he's one of the uh, true gentlemen of of the of the sport. You know, I mean, he was always really well respected within the game, and and he he almost had like a grandfatherly like demeanor to him, you know, when I walked in there and shook my hand, asked me how the draft was going, uh, what my experience had been like. And after a little bit of small talk, he just, he just stepped up and he said, Jason, uh, we're going to take you with our first pick tomorrow. Uh, we draft, we, we pick 18th. I, I think he said, I, I think they were 18. He goes, we, we pick 18th, but we don't think we're going to get you there. So we're going to make a trade, uh, to trade up. And, uh, and we'll see it. Uh, we'll see you on the stage. And that was like I left that meeting obviously on cloud nine. I shook his hand and you know he said you're going to be a Toronto Maple Leaf tomorrow. And off I went to tell my agent Mike Barnett what had happened. And and you know he was ear to ear smile and he was like holy smokes can't believe he told you that. And and it was just such a you know it was such a departure from what I had had heard that day. You know generally the teams will express interest and stuff, but no one told me you know they're going to draft me or when they're going to do it or how they're going to do it. So so I I slept pretty. Uh, pretty soundly that night, even though I was excited, just knowing or thinking that I was going to be a Toronto Maple Leaf the next day. Um, so as, as it turns around, you know, obviously you see there in my, in my, in my hockey DB that I got drafted by the Florida Panthers 31st. So that never happened. And it was interesting because the Toronto Maple Leafs actually did trade up um, from 18. They, they actually traded to 10th and then they traded down again, I believe to 14. So, um, it happened pretty quick, uh, pretty quickly there, but I, uh, something weird happened too at the draft where, where, when they did trade up for their 10th, uh, selection, their draft mic came on, you know, they all have, they, they have the mics on the tables there. So their draft mic came on and my name came over the, came over the PA, like, so in the entire stadium of, uh, of Hartford and, and so my, my agent heard it right. And he, he, he hit my leg and, and everything. And I had a big smile on my face and couldn't believe that I was going to be going top 10 and after kind of a crappy year and was like super excited. And then, like I said, they traded down to 14 and then they went up 
uh, to the draft table or the draft stage and, and they drafted Eric Fischel. So my heart completely sank. Um, didn't know what the heck happened or why he would have told me that, you know, and, and then not, and then not followed through. And then from that point on, I hadn't really had any good interviews with teams outside of like where Toronto picked. So there was a couple hopefuls where I was like, Oh, maybe I'll get taken here. And, and again, so slid, 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 went to 31, got drafted by Florida. Um, which is obviously super cool, but you know, it's all about expectations, right? So when you're, when you're expecting 14 or 10 and, uh, and then you go 31, it's a little bit disheartening. And, but when I was leaving the draft floor, um, uh, Mr. Fletcher came over to me, which he definitely did not have to do. Um, he walked over to me as I, as I was leaving and he, and he put his arm around me and he said, he said, uh, you know, I'm sorry, Jason, but, uh, I think it was Pierre Gauthier, one of the Gauthiers, uh that that was their head scout who passed away from a heart attack. It was either like the night before or the week before or something. And he said our head scout uh, recently passed away, and and we decided this morning uh, that out of memory for him we were going to go with his guy, which was Eric Fischo. So so this this man's this man's heart attack and and their reflection on that and and, and to his legacy end up having them change their opinion on on draft morning and uh and they never took me so anyways what a it's kind of an interesting uh, trivia question that don't not many people know know too much about but it's it's crazy what can happen on draft day you know that's amazing and you know Eric Fischo you know was a former Islander as well mm-hmm. yeah. yeah so uh you say you met with almost every team do you remember your meeting with the Islanders you know what? I don't. I mean, a lot of them, a lot of them were a blur, uh, just because it's so, it, it's so intense, right? And the frequency is so high. You're meeting with like eight, 12 teams a day, and it's kind of like one after the other, and you're just, you're just zooming around. So, um, the, I remember, I remember the, I remember Boston being quite critical. It's funny, right? I've always, I don't know if I've always been like that, but we seem to remember the, the bad more than the good a lot of the time. And I remember some of the, a couple of the teams there was, uh, were, were a little bit harsh. And that was, it seemed to me like I could tell that those were the teams that had a, had a fond relationship with Brian Maxwell, my coach. And then some of the, some of the teams, uh, you know, didn't think as fondly of Brian Maxwell and were like, oh my gosh, how did you put up with that all year? And kind of had that. Yeah. that sentiment um throughout the interview but um terry ryan has a really funny draft story that you should i don't i don't know where you can find it but about uh mike milbury and and <laughs> him with the islanders which is well worth listening to yeah oh i, I can only imagine <laughs> <laughs> you, you get drafted by florida a year before was their expansion draft or and they just missed the playoffs their first year so you must have been excited that you would you know get a pretty good opportunity going ahead and out to south florida yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, I was I was excited, just period, right? You know, you were a part of an NHL organization. Uh, Florida didn't sound like a bad place to be. I'd never been there um, to that point in my life yet, so I didn't really know what to expect. Um, at that time, I don't know if I was uh, mature enough to really think, you know, that this is a good opportunity because of the, you know, the uh, the infancy of the franchise or organization. Uh, but you know, it did it did kind of turn out that way you know they they had quite a few picks in that first round they had ed jovanowski they had rhett warner they had myself they had ryan johnson and dave Nemer, uh dave nemirovsky all i believe were were in 96 and all of us ended up playing games which is which is quite rare to be honest you know that uh that 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 deep into into a draft year will where that many guys actually end up playing the nhl and uh 
and because they were they had you know this sort of meteoric me, meteoric rise um <laughs> to the upper echelons of the NHL like the year that I came in as a rookie they were they were still on the hunt you know and they wanted to get better so they felt that, I mean I guess I suppose they felt like they had these pieces these younger pieces these prospect pieces that uh that they had at their disposal and uh and then that's where you know my story kind of takes its next step is because Toronto ended up kind of getting what what they at one point wanted to be their first round selection right so they traded they traded Kirk Muller for me um you know the, my my rookie year to help Toronto during their I mean to help Florida during their playoff drive yeah well I know uh Islander fans you know relationship with Kurt Muller so it's it's not the greatest but um <laughs> so you, you go to Toronto and you know I guess a dream come true for most Canadian you know uh hockey players uh but it didn't really work out for you that way huh no, it was uh, that was the one point in my career where I just looking back now, I just wasn't ready for what being a Maple Leaf was. Um, kind of coincidence, I just I just today wrote wrote a little piece for the uh, for a Hockey Hall of Fame writer doing a doing a bit on what it means to be a Maple Leaf. He's putting a story together and, and asked me to write something for it. So I had an opportunity to kind of reflect on that on that point in my life and my career and. Uh, it's a big deal. I mean, like there's, there's a lot of gravity around being a Maple Leaf and being from out West here in British Columbia. You know, I mean, I grew up more of a Canucks fan and, and yeah, obviously I knew about the Leafs and the tradition of the Leafs, but I didn't really get it. And, uh, and that trade was, was really surreal in and of itself because at the time I'd been sent down from Florida. So I'd played 19 games for the Panthers that year and was in the minors and having a really good uh, minor league season, having having over a point a game down there. And I was actually asleep in bed for a game, a home game in Greensboro, North Carolina. So, you know, I mean, that is not a hockey town. Uh, it couldn't be farther away from being a Toronto Maple Leaf. And then with the, you know, with, with one phone call from, uh, from Cliff Fletcher, I, uh, I was, a, I was a leaf. I was on a plane three hours later. Uh, I was in, Maple Leaf Gardens the next morning, and I suited up that night against the Legion of Doom and the Philadelphia Flyers, and I was 21 years old, and it was crazy. Uh, that whole experience was really intense and really quite crazy, and and not one that I was really prepared for. I mean, I didn't do, I didn't do terribly by any means, but I definitely wasn't myself, uh, and I had a good opportunity there uh, during those last 10 games. You know, I played with Mats a little bit on a line with him and Wendell. Uh, I played with him and Steve Thomas a little bit. I had a little bit of power play time, so I, I was I was getting an opportunity, uh, but I just wasn't I wasn't comfortable. I wasn't confident enough. I didn't necessarily feel like I belonged at that point. It was it was quite still a shock for me, and I was trying to trying to figure it all out. And then in the uh, in the summer, uh, Cliff got uh, let go, so Mike Smith came in, and uh, and it's like a new boss at any at any job, I think, you know, they kind of reevaluate and, and I don't think, you know, he really had any intention of making anything Cliff did <laughs> look, look good. And, uh, and I kind of, you know, and this isn't sour grapes, but I mean, it's just looking back, I kind of got buried in that organization for a little bit. I had a really, really good minor league season. I ended up leading the entire minors and goals uh, with a team that wasn't a playoff team in Toronto. And I think I got three games that year. You know, it's just kind of stuff that sort of wouldn't happen now with the more exposure of what's actually happening with the prospects and the minors, right? Like a, a non-playoff team that has 
a 22 or 23 year old guy leading the league in goals, uh, there would be a little bit in the media about why this guy isn't coming up. But you know, back then it was this sort of you're in you're in St. John's, Newfoundland, and nobody really knows or really cares, and you just go keep doing keep doing your business, you know. And it wasn't like you were a 35 year old KHL or you were you know still a top prospect, 22 years old, leading the league in scoring, like you said. But it would is it ironic that maybe you could have used someone like yourself now to kind of like help you, you know, build confidence and kind of off the ice stuff? Oh, 100%. Well, I don't know if it's ironic. I think it's, it's poignant. That's for sure. Because that's, that's why I'm so passionate about what I do now. And that's, you know, it, it's one thing, it's one thing to have something to reflect on and to say like, geez, boy, I could have, you know, I could have, I would have loved a mentor or somebody to help me through some of that stuff. Um, but it's another thing to actually, feel like you're good at something you know like i really enjoy working with athletes i love the one-on-one connection i love i love being the guy that believes in them and uh and in doing that and and in seeing other people's success uh and being able to use you know your own experience to help them do that uh is super rewarding right and and i think the interesting thing of that is if i would have played you know 500 or a thousand games i probably wouldn't be doing what i'm doing right now so, uh, I don't know. There's a silver lining, I guess, to every story, and uh, and I guess that's that's the silver lining of mine that I'm I'm doing something that I'm that I'm really passionate about, uh, that I'm really excited about doing, and and brings a smile to my face every day. Yeah, you, you, know, you go to the Kings for like two years, and then you sign with the Islanders. Um, was there any interest in other teams, or was were the Islanders only one to express interest? Or were you interested in them? How did that all come about? Oh, geez, that's a great question. Um, I couldn't, I, I don't think that there are as many teams interested. I, I Right now, I can't even think of one. So let's just say that the Islanders were the only ones. You know I mean, I'm, I'm not sure if that's the case, but uh, I remember it was another scenario where they, it was another team uh, that hadn't done well recently, right? And that was sort of where, where my journey was always seemed to land me, you know, Toronto hadn't been in the playoffs forever. The Kings hadn't been successful. I got picked off off waivers by Tampa. They, they hadn't been successful uh, and then got picked up by, by the Islanders. And I think that the draw there was one, okay, well, here's a team that, you know, needs something, right. They're looking for something and they, and, uh, and they, they, they got to make some moves if, if they want to improve. And so you just hope that somewhere in the depth chart that you can, you know, turn some heads. So, uh, yeah, I was excited to have a team interested in me, and uh, and going to New York was uh, was another opportunity, really, right? And that's all you're looking for as a hockey player. Yeah, and ironically, that was the off season where they uh, they put a little money into the team. They get Yashin, they got Pekka, Adrian O'Coin, they got Chris Osgood off a of waiver. So they went from being in the bottom of the Eastern Conference to being, you know, a playoff contender, and they made the playoffs. So you get Bridgeport, which was their first year, and I actually – um, you know, go, go to a lot of Bridgeport, you know, Sound Tiger games. And, you know, you had a, I remember watching you there and you actually, you know, I think you had 25, 26 goals a year and you made a run to the Calder Cup, that that team. And uh, so that must have been exciting just to have a, you know, a playoff, uh, playoff caliber hockey and uh, being in a new organization. Yeah, no, it was great. I mean, I have really fond memories of that year. Uh as far as the minors is concerned, you I mean, I was roommates with Matt Higgins and Rick DiPietro. Uh, we had this great little house in, in Milford, Connecticut, uh, that was right on the water. And, 
And yeah, we had a good team. I mean, success always breeds fond memories, right? So we, we had a good team. We competed hard. Uh, we had success, got all the way to the final. And it was it was a pretty satisfying year when it came to that. I mean, that was also the year of um, of 9-11. Yes, it was. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, kind of a – I know you didn't ask me about camp, but it was uh, – my, my mom – it came up the other day on the anniversary, actually, when, when, when it came around in, in September the 11th, and I did a post on, on my Facebook feed of, about that and, and where I was. And, and my mom ended up calling me and, and, and just saying, did you remember, like, when you came back home after camp and – Anyways, it was such a like that that nine eleven had such a had it was such a massive scenario for everybody there, and we had just left New York uh, on the bus the day before. I remember being at camp, and then that news hit that uh, that that the planes had hit the towers, and we were watching it. We were watching it in our rooms, and and like I don't remember anything at camp, and I don't remember like my mom had breast cancer at the time, and that's she didn't want to tell me because camp was going on, and she had to go in for an operation. But when I got sent down, she told me, and I went home for that week. Like I don't remember any, I barely remember camp, I barely remember getting sent down, uh, I barely remember going home. It's just sort of interesting the way, you know, our brains and our emotions deal with stuff because that was a that was a very very big time, and in, in you know. Obviously, internationally, it was huge, and and just the impact that it has on on everybody individually is so is so different. No question, and just how um, everyone rallied around New York sports that year, yeah. you know, the, you know, baseball, hockey, you know, ho- especially hockey as well. Because remember when the you know season started, it was you know big. The honors had a, you know a big run to start off that season, but uh, you're, you you get called up. I think it was the end of October for for your one game. Um, what, what was like that like? Was that just filling in for an injured player? Did you think you'd be up for more than one game? You never know actually what's going to happen there. And the uh, the interesting thing is, um, I think it was in where was that game? Carolina, I think it was. Carolina, yeah. Yeah, I think I called up from Carolina, and uh, <clears throat> and I knew a lot of guys in that team. So I'd been in the minors for a while then. It wasn't like when I went to Toronto, I was 21, or even LA, right? When I went over there to the to the Western Conference, where I didn't know anybody in the locker room. Like that's a very weird thing to, to do, you know, because I hadn't been to camp with the Leafs before. I'd only been in one organization, and to be from the minor leagues and go to the NHL team, I didn't have any exposure to any of those players. So you're trying to figure out 20 guys in a locker room, plus a new city, plus being a Maple Leaf. Same thing when I got traded to. Uh, to the Kings at the deadline, you know, I didn't know anybody on that team. So you're essentially like on an Island, just starting out and trying to figure everything out as, as you go. But with the Islanders, it was a bit different because I knew guys from junior on that team. Uh, I had gone to camp right with, with guys there th- that year. Um, so my, my comfort level was a lot higher when I went and I, and I had a good game that game. Uh, funny. I don't know if it shows on the score sheet or if the, if the archives even have that, but I was, uh, coach put me in the starting lineup, so I was I was on the ice uh, to start the game uh, to be to be the starter. And as it turned out, they filled out the starting lineup sheet incorrectly, so we actually had to get a too many men on the ice penalty uh, infraction for having a wrong score sheet. And I started the game in the penalty box. <laughs> That's so, so yeah, so that was a that was a nice welcome back to the NHL of like being from starting lineup to serving a penalty. Uh, because of a, a, a data error. But uh, anyways, I, I thought I played well that game. They sent me down. Um, what won't show that year is, and this is a really wild story that I've never told 
publicly before, but we had our rookie party. Jeez, I don't even remember the month, but I remember we had the rookie party. So we had four days off in Bridgeport and, uh, and we had our rookie party on, on day, I guess it was like the first night or the second night of this, of this, of these three days off. And Steve Sterling had given us the next day off. Um, and off we went, we had a team bus and off we went down to New York city where we had all these festivities planned. Uh, like I said before, I was, I was Rick DiPietro's roommate. And so he had a girlfriend at the time that uh, lived down in New York city. So as the night wore on and wound down and we closed things down, um, they invited me back to, to their place. So, which was an option. Like we didn't have to take the team bus home. It just stayed for the guys who wanted to go back to, uh, go back to Bridgeport. So I stayed downtown. And, uh, and I got a call the next morning, obviously not feeling too good. Felt like there was symbols on my, on my ears. Uh, and it was Steve Sterling and they were trying, this was sort of before cell phones and stuff, right? So they were trying to track me down. They ended up finding me and the, the Islanders had called me up. So there I am hung over in New York city. Um, and my gears in, in, uh, in Bridgeport, I mean, my suits are in Bridgeport, like everything's in Bridgeport and they wanted me at the, uh, at the airport in like whatever it was, four hours or something. So I was like super panicked. Right. I'm like, well, you know, I was like trying to work with Sterles. I'm like, well, just put my, put my gear in a cab, you know, put my gear in a cab. I said, I'll go buy a suit. I'll go buy some suits and I'll, and I'll meet it at the airport, you know? And anyways, trying to find these solutions, um, Sterles never seemed to like any of my solutions. And he said, why don't you just come back in the subway and we'll figure it out from here. So anyways, I didn't necessarily know exactly what was going to happen, but I kind of had a bad feeling in my stomach that, you know, if I'm on a subway going back to Bridgeport, it's going to be really hard for me to get back in time. But I thought maybe they'd have another plan. And anyway, so I rolled into the arena and, uh, and Sterles, you know, solemnly told me that uh, they decided instead uh, because I wasn't accessible to call up Yuri Kolnick uh, oh, in, instead of me. And the the funny story of that is Yuri, Yuri had, <laughs> you know, like we all did, right? I mean, rookie parties are, are, are not something where everyone's behaving maybe to the best of their ability. So he, he spent the night in the arena, uh, the Bridgeport arena after coming home on the bus on the couch, like he didn't even go home. Right. So he was actually sleeping at the arena and, uh, and he was the call up and he ended up playing like, geez, I don't know. Don't quote me on this, but something like 20 or 25 games uh, yeah, during, you... yeah, during that call up. So that was my call up, uh, which he ended up taking advantage of a guy being in New York. So it's kind of, I mean, that's, those are the stories that don't get told, you know, like the, the maybes and maybe nots and, and opportunities that can maybe come and go just from being in the wrong place at the wrong time sometimes. Yeah. Wow. That's an amazing story. Yeah. Uh, what was uh, DiPietro like as a roommate? Oh, Ricky was a great guy. Uh, we had a lot of fun together. I think uh, I think we all helped each other out in our own way. You know, Ricky's personality, uh, he was very, he wanted to do well, right? He was really driven. He, he you know, first overall pick, uh, you know, that comes, that comes with a lot of weight. And, and he wanted to be really good at what he was doing and, uh, trying to figure it out like the rest of us. So we were all young guys down there, but he took his, he took himself real seriously. He, you know, he took his diet real seriously. He was, he was a guy that, uh, you know, that tried to do the best he can and, and, uh, you know, and, 
and in doing that all the time, I don't mean this negatively, but we, you know, being 22, 23, we don't always know what, what the best is. You know, we can right. be a little, we can not really know. Like, I mean, for instance, he, with his nutrition at the time, he would, he was, would not eat anything that had fat in it. Right. That was kind of during the no fat craze. So he wouldn't have anything that had fat in it. And, uh, and obviously he was doing it because he thought it was helping him, right? I mean, looking back on that, that's not a that's not a healthy diet at all, and uh, and it's just certainly there's ironies there, right? I, I did the same thing one year when I was training and trying to put on weight. I was uh, I was drinking whole milk all the time and using these whey protein shakes to to try and put on weight. It turns out that I'm lactose intolerant and and all those stomach upsets and gas issues was because I was poisoning myself. <laughs> Meanwhile, I thought I was, uh, you know, do, doing, doing the right thing for my body and, uh, and to put on the weight. So anyways, we, we're all trying in our own right. And Rick is one of those guys. And, uh, you know, I mean, I look back on that now and I wonder how much maybe his diet had to do with some of the injury problems he had. Um, but that's just me asking questions. Right. Yeah. So the, the year finishes and was there, Talk about coming back to the organization. Um. Well, yes and no. I, you know, the as you can imagine, we we had a good run there, like I said, and so that was positive. Um, getting getting to the Calder Cup final was positive. Uh, you know, I had a good year personally. I didn't have a great year, um, as far as statistically was concerned, and missing that call up, getting the one game. Um, it wasn't like I was super jacked uh and my whole idea of going to europe was was i kind of wanted to reinvent myself i was only 25 still right but you feel like you've been around forever and uh and i just kind of wanted to yeah reinvent myself i wanted to get back connected to being the offensive player that i was you know get in get back to being a a first line PP or and a, and a first line winger and, and, uh, and have, I mean, hoping to have some production offensively and then, and then to come back uh, to North America and, and give, and give the NHL another go. So um, that was what I thought was best for me at the time and discussing it with my agent. That was what we thought would have been a, was, was a good idea. And, you know, I don't know if it was a good idea when it comes to the career, and I guess it wasn't because I had such a good start over there in Germany that they offered me a, a two-year extension, kind of two months into the season, and that was when I really had to do some soul searching and figure out if this is what I wanted, you know, and uh, and that was a tough decision because I mean they're offering me essentially, you know, one-way NHL money uh, right. to to play half the games in a league where I couldn't be traded in an awesome country uh, that I was having in the time of my life at. So it was, yeah, you mean it, it, it was, it was a tough one for me. I knew that if I signed that extension, that the NHL was probably not something that I was going to get back to. Um, but I decided to sign the contract and uh, you know, I mean, I guess the rest is history. I mean, I, I don't regret any of my time in, in Germany. It was, it was a heck of a lot of fun and, and a life experience that, you know, you just, you know, you just can't replace. Uh, and I did actually come back and I did try it with the wings at 30 after I, after I got out of the game. So, I mean, I did actually come back and, and gave another round of, you know, uh, another attempt, another kick at the cat, but uh, Germany, Germany was good. And I, I guess that was, like I said, you mean you're always trying to make the best decision for yourself at the time, and that was what I thought was the best for me. All right. And how um, how did you end up in the Asian League? 
Uh, yeah, well, that's kind of a funny story. I mean, I got out of, we went to the finals uh, with Mannheim. Uh, my last year there, I'd, I'd got a concussion that season as well. And, and then I got another concussion and wasn't really feeling great. I also had shoulder surgery while I was there. So there was a few things going on with me physically that I just, I didn't really feel like the player that I once was. And I was also a bit concerned with, you know, well, my head, quite honestly, right. I was like, geez, I don't, I, I don't really know what this means or what, what this, you know, how this projects. So I was always a guy that loved being a hockey player, but I never necessarily identified myself as as being a hockey player or solely a hockey player so I was always interested in stuff outside the game and I thought well hey I'm 30 years old uh I was kind of in a position that year in Mannheim because of the injuries and, and everything else where I was more of a third line position uh player a little bit more of a role player there and um that wasn't what I had really signed up for either you know I mean although I love being a part of a team and battling and, and going to the finals it, that was all awesome but it wasn't you know I didn't start playing hockey to to be blocking shots at the blue line, right? <laughs> and I was like, well, 30 years old, maybe I should go to back to university. So that was that was what I decided to do. I decided to get out of the game and and come back home here. And I, I enrolled at UBC and and was a was a first year was a first year student. And uh, and it's funny, right? When you when you make a decision to do something else, it seemed like the the phone just wouldn't stop ringing. And it was, you know, some jobs here in North America, some jobs internationally, some in some in places that I didn't even know had professional leagues before. And one of those calls was from uh, was from the Asian League. Uh, I did not know that they had that they had professional hockey there, although I had always had a little bit of a love affair with that country. I mean, I always loved the culture. I know a bit of the history, love the food. And uh, and this this opportunity came up right when I was finished my first semester. So I was just writing finals right around Christmas time. And and this call came. They only allowed one import at the time and they weren't happy with their import. And uh, and I don't know how my name came across their their database, but they were interested in bringing me over there. And the money was was super good. It was like a, it was like two months or something, I guess, two and a half months. Maybe I was there three months is, is, is as long as I would would be there for. Uh, I'd get to live in in Japan for three months and get to experience that culture in a firsthand basis, and and it was just something that I couldn't say no to. So I yeah I wrote my finals and I was off on a I, I hopped on a plane and off I went to to Japan. <laughs> so I, I kind of asked this to like all the players who've kind of you know encountered uh, Mike Bilberry. I don't know how much interaction you had with him, but if if you did have any, what was it like? You know what? I don't have one Mike Bilberry memory um, at all, so I, I can't I can't be colorful as some right. guys can be. Um, I know I just listened to Mike Watt, who is a ex Islander, obviously, and an ex World Junior teammate of mine uh, on on Terry Ryan's podcast there, and he told he told some some colorful uh, Milbury stories. But uh, yeah, no, I, I can't I can't add to the lore. I'm sorry, I don't I don't have any that I can remember. Oh, that's okay. Yeah, ironically, I'm trying to get you know Mike on the show as well. <laughs> <laughs> Good for you. That'd be a great one. Yeah, hopefully it'll work out. Yeah, as, uh, as you can imagine, I, I've heard some colorful stories about uh, about him throughout the throughout all these interviews I've been doing. <laughs> yeah, a lot of guys have a lot of good stories about him. He's uh, he's one of the old schoolers and kind of said what he said what he wanted when he felt it. So <laughs> I don't know. You can't really uh, neither good nor bad. I guess you, you knew what he was thinking most of the time. Yeah, no, that, that is true. That is true. But before we go, Jason, uh, where can people find you? Oh, social media wise, well, I have a 
I have a YouTube channel called Up My Hockey with Jason Padolan. Um, I'm at Jason Padolan on Instagram, and I have a Facebook page uh, called Up My Hockey as well with Jason Padolan. I have a parent group that's a private group for anyone, uh, you know, growing up with the young hockey players. And I know there's a lot of hockey parents out there trying to do their best uh, to support their, you know, their young players, male or female, to to reach their hopes and dreams. So I'm helping I'm helping parents in that private group, and um, you know, I'm getting. I'm getting involved. It's kind of interesting. You know, social media isn't a natural thing for me to be involved in, but it is sure a great way to reach and touch people and, and, and you know, hopefully provide some value for people, you know, wherever they may be. So it it is a good outlet and something that I'm trying to be more engaged in. So, yeah, those are those are all the places you can find me. Jason, this is amazing. I, I appreciate your time today. Hey, man, thanks so much. Thanks for reaching out. And uh yeah, you know, you have to dig pretty deep to find a guy who's played one game for the Islanders. But, hey, you found me, and uh, good on you for doing that. And a special thanks to Jason for joining me today. Go check out his website, upmylife.com. And if you have a guest suggestion, hit me up on Twitter at the first thefirstnoel19 or at lighthousehockey.com. And like I said in the open, please subscribe to the channel to listen to all the amazing shows we've had. Islanders Anxiety, PT Isles, Isles Buzz, My Favorite Islanders Game, Islanders Award winner, and the past episodes of Lighthouse Look Back. We'll see you soon.